Howdy and hello, and welcome back. My name is Wyatt Marchant. I'm here with Mr. Paul Wilson. How are you, sir? Good. How are you doing today? Doing all right. Doing all right. But today's question that we wanted to talk about was, how can we trust in God's plan when there's so much evil in the world? How can we trust in God's plan when there's so much evil in the world? I'm sure you've probably got that one a time or two, or at least a, a, some a form of it, eh? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty common question for, um, you know, believers and skeptics alike. Um, you know, believers find themselves in painful and um, difficult situations and circumstances, and naturally it creates a challenge of what they believe to be true about God. And it seems unfair or uh, negligent that what they're experiencing is so painful and they, you know, they work from this belief that God's good and that he protects and provides. And so why, why did he allow what's happened to happen? So that's, you know, a committed follower of Jesus is going to wrestle with those sorts of questions at times. And then, you know, the skeptic, the cynic, the person who doesn't have a faith in God, um, this is often a big question that, they use as one of the reasons why they don't believe in God. Because, you know, if a good God exists who's all-powerful and sovereign and, you know, in control of everything, then how do you explain the evil in the world and the things that happen, particularly to good people? Like, why would a good God allow bad things to happen to good mm -hmm. people? And so that becomes a bit of an obstacle in their um, paradigm of how they're trying to make sense of this thing called God or this thing called faith. So it doesn't, I don't, I don't think it matters what end of the spectrum you're on. Um, the whole dilemma of evil in the world and God's place in all of it um, can be really confusing and uh, frustrating. Yeah. I think even for those who like might understand it, it can even be frustrating because it's, like I heard, uh, I kind of have a form of what you were talking about was whenever you said skeptics, it's like, well, God is supposed to be good. Or even believers, God's supposed to be good. Like, why does he allow this to happen? It's very, uh, in Dostoevsky's The Brothers Kramazov, there's these two brothers and they're always talking. One's like a very devoted kind of novice follower, like a monk officiate. Uh, is it officiate? Is that the name for it? That's what it's going to be here All right. Um But anyways, he's kind of like, green to all of this and but his older brother ivan is very very um he's very very headstrong knowledgeable intelligent person and he always just rips this younger brother to shreds and it's and he even says himself it's not that he doesn't believe in god it's that he doesn't accept the world that he's created because that of god's all the, created yeah okay because of all the evil and he highlights particularly to children who are yeah. like the most innocent like why he doesn't accept that like that that God should or would, or like, it's kind of like a rebellion against God rather than a yeah. challenging of whether or not he exists. It's interesting. So, so you kind of listed out like some reasons of like why this is so such a common question, but like, why do you think it keeps coming up? I'm sure somebody somewhere's had a sufficient answer. So, um, well, I, I guess I would challenge that. I don't think somebody or anybody ever has had, a sufficient answer because 
there may not be an answer that we as human beings can grasp mm. for an explanation. So in our limits as human beings, we're not sovereign, we're not all-knowing, we're not all-powerful. So our world and our life is very much, um, you know, it's limited in its capacity. So we can't control and we can't alter and we can't protect to the degree that we would like. And so we have a hard time then processing the question in our limited capacity. Yeah. And it'll always be that it'll always be that'll always be the case because then if our understanding of God is accurate and consistent that we have this eternal infinite sovereign all-powerful all-knowing being and he functions intellectually if you will he functions at a level that's so far surpasses even our best categories um we'll probably always wrestle with it and i I don't think God is disappointed in us that we wrestle with it. I don't think he penalizes us for having these very vivid, real-time kinds of questions about the inequities that we face and that we see in life. Um, I, think, I think the church in the past has cultivated this sort of negative, uh, punitive sort of perspective on people having doubts or asking questions about Mm -hmm. God, like why doesn't God step in and change something? And there's been sort of a history or at least a dimension of church history where that's been perceived as a lack of faith and a bad thing. And I, I just have a really different opinion about all of that. I think... I think the Bible's full of examples of people of great faith who asked big questions. Uh, certainly the Psalms are full of questions about God, like to his face, like, why, God, have you forsaken me, and how long will you continue to be completely uninvolved in the remedy of the situation that I find himself? That's, that's you know, the psalmist who, you know, I think represents one of the great patriarchs of faith and one of the great patriarchs of, you know, a spiritual history. And so here he is asking those questions. And um, we see that in other places throughout the scripture. And, you know, even if you look at, um, you know, the encounter that Thomas had with Jesus, he was full of doubts. And I don't really see Jesus beating him up for having doubts. He, I think Jesus understood his doubts and met him in the middle of those doubts. Yeah. Um, so I, I think doubt and questions and the wrestling, I think that's all part of the spiritual adventure. And if we could back off the, um, you know, it's all or nothing, I either understand it or, or I don't believe it, um, back off from that. And just say, no, I don't understand it, so I will continue to wrestle with these things in the trust that a sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful God understands things that I 
I don't. Yeah. And I think that's where the trust comes in. Um, you know, how can I trust God when there's so much evil in the world? I think because there's so much evil in the world, I need to trust God mm. to kind of keep, keep the sanity of my soul because the evil can be so overwhelming. Not that the evil is necessarily happening to you. It could be, but to watch it happening in the lives of others or in, you know, large groups of people. And certainly, I mean, children is such, you know, evil happening to children is just about makes me crazy. Um, so you see that, you hear about it all the time. It can be incredibly overwhelming. And what I see in a lot of people's spiritual journey, it just becomes disillusioning because they can't reconcile it. But because they're all or nothing, if I can't understand it, then I won't believe it. Then they, they kind of put themselves in a situation where they'll never really quite be in a position to be open-minded and open-hearted about there is an answer to it. I just don't understand the answer to it. Yeah. There is some sort of a um, remedy in how I think about it. I just don't know what the remedy is. And I think it's in the wrestling with it that, you know, good things happen in our soul. That over the wrestling match, we can come to understand and discover things about God that become really important to our faith. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think, like, even for those people who, like, say you're listening to this, I, I, this might be what I was thinking, what I would be thinking if I was listening to it. I was like, oh, well, I have that at least answered well enough for myself, right? Like, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. not saying that I have that question figured out in its entirety, but I have it figured out enough for myself. That can change whenever the evil actually touch, starts to touch you, right? Oh, yeah. Like, then that's... That's then when all of a sudden what you thought was enough to justify it, when it wasn't happening to you, when it starts to actually touch and affect your life or your loved ones or, or uh, anything else, that's whenever that doubting can be even become more intense. Yeah, I, I think there's, there's probably several levels, layers, levels or layers to um, the degree to which we wrestle with this question. I can think of three right off the top of my head. There's all sorts of evil and um, unjust sorts of things happening in the world, but that's far away from me. That's not touching my life, and I may be aware of it, but I'm really not emotionally involved. And then, you know, there's kind of this middle ground where um, something's at least close enough for to home or high enough in our awareness that it does provoke some sort of passion, some sort of emotion, whether that's anger or a sense of injustice or, you know, tears because you see or hear something that's happening that's awful. And then there's this whole other experience, and that's when evil comes to your doorstep. Yeah. And it's happening to you or it's happening to someone that you deeply care for and know well like one of your children or your spouse or your parents or you yourself and then suddenly now we're dealing with a whole theological uh, challenge that's very very vivid because now it's very very close to home yeah yeah so earlier you said and that kind of brought into something that i think needs to be considered with this question um 
It's like, well, how can we trust God whenever evil is in the world? It's like, well, that also kind of raises the question of why is evil even allowed to exist? And I mean evil kind of broadly. So that's like pain, suffering, but also pain and suffering and death, but also like the result of sin, but also just like struggle and like yeah. you said and and um, hardship. And you were talking about wrestling, which is a fight. That's what a wrestling yeah. match is. And you said that they, I think you said it was like, there might be something necessary in that wrestling match that does something to your soul. And so, to me, that kind of speaks to why evil might exist. What are your kind of thoughts on why evil might need? Does it need to exist? Why is it allowed to exist? Um, uh, good question. I want to answer in a way that would be consistent with uh, sort of my overarching perspective on history. Um, it does exist. Does it need to exist? No. Um, should it exist? Is there like reason and purpose behind it? Um, not inherently, but God can make reason for it or, or give it purpose um, but it does exist and so God again this big long story of you know the reason why it exists is because human beings chose it in pushing God out and so then God in a sense crafts the story of his redemptive game plan and his grace and his mercy and his sovereignty. He crafts the story in relationship to, okay, this is now reality because you as human beings chose it. I'm going to show you how I shine above it. So should it exist and um, does it, it does exist. Should it exist? Again, that's just a big, big philosophical sort of question. But um, I think that what we have is a God who's, who's able to take this very unfortunate expression of what's happened to the world that he created, and then he works in and through it. He can use it for a greater good. Mm-hmm. It is a big philosophical question. I think I've... Uh... Those of you who know us know that I've asked Paul this question several times in regards to free will, which I'm not going to necessarily do now. But I guess, like, maybe I'll ask it in a different way to trick you. Um, <laughs> to trick me. Does does the op is the opportunity for evil for all of us to choose incorrectly necessary in the human experience as? we experience it now like is it a necessary facet the option the the opportunity for evil is it a necessary thing mm-hmm. again only from the perspective of an eternal infinite god who can who can make good out of it and use it for a purpose mm-hmm. so here here's a here's a kind of a f- philosophical point of view that i come from um, and sort of latched onto it about, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. 
and that is the human spirit, that thing that makes us us, not our bodies, not our organs, um, but the thing that kind of makes us alive, the human spirit. That kind of dynamic, vibrant part of how we are as people. I think that over time, our human spirit can sort of die from apathy and lethargy. Mm-hmm. And here's what I mean by that. It seems like the older we get, and maybe, maybe I'll just say this, Americans, because I haven't really studied this in, in terms of like other cultures. Americans, there seems to be this very intense striving that the older I get, the harder I work at making my life as comfortable and convenient and as pleasurable and as self-serving as possible. I'm working overtime to make life what I want it to be. Mm-hmm. And typically, there are exceptions, typically make my life great means make my life easy make my life really comfortable, convenient, and pleasurable. Like, I don't want to be annoyed and aggravated, and I don't want hard, and I don't want uncomfortable, and I don't want difficult. I want to eliminate that. And what I think happens is the more comfortable we get, the more we arrange our life to be to our convenience, I think that something about the human spirit dies, or at least gets spoiled and it gets cranky and it gets um, easily annoyed and bothered and then we just become these critical grouchy people okay (laughs) stick with me here. i believe you no i believe you so stick with so i I feel like this is a again i'll just tell you this honest truth this is a decision that i paul wilson made is i didn't want my that spirit of me, and I'm, I'm not talking the Holy Spirit. I'm talking like the spirit of me as a human being. I didn't want it to become lazy and lethargic, and I didn't want it to shrivel up. And so I made a decision a number of years ago that I would pursue, to some degree, I would pursue things that were hard, things that were difficult, things that were new and outside of my comfort zone as a way to kind of keep my spirit vibrant. And there's been a couple of different ways that I've pursued that. One of the ways that I've done that is through kind of physical fitness and exercise, particularly triathlon. That, the, yes, I was interested in the sport of triathlon, but I was really much more interested in the nature of pursuing the sport of triathlon, what it teaches me about... Um, enduring through what's hard, like intentionally positioning myself into things that are difficult and outside of my comfort zone. Because there's a lot about the sport that can be really uncomfortable. And all of that was done with an intentionality of, of just forcing myself outside of my comfort zone because good things happen to us outside of our comfort zone. But most of us aren't inclined to step into the, the discomfort zone. And so um, if, you, if you take 
sort of that whole thinking, like there's something good that comes from challenge and disappointment and heartbreak and and difficulty. There's something that makes us stronger and wiser and maybe live deeper. Then just carry that into this question that we're dealing with is evil in all of its different expressions. It's about making us uncomfortable and miserable and, um, you know, uh, disappointed and disillusioned and all the things. And so going back to where I come from in this whole question is there's a God who's sovereign, all-knowing, and all-powerful. And so in his infinite wisdom, he can make use of the backwash of evil to do something positive in a human soul. Mm-hmm. Did you follow that? Yeah. No, and I agree with you. And it's really funny. I got excited whenever you were talking about how if we were given, like if we had nothing to push against that we would, it would normally not be good for our soul or for ourself or the human, like the human, I guess, drive or experience. And um, they actually did that study with, with rats. And they do a lot of studies with rats. Most of what we know about people's minds has to do with what we know about rats' minds. <laughs> what um, that says. Yeah. Yeah. But like, one rats are smart, but they gave rats basically everything they needed, and they just stuck them in this place, and um, they gave them everything they needed. And I think they might have even given them, like, hormone. And don't worry, I have a point with this. Like hormonal injections, to make they make it to where they would never feel a very deep negative emotion. So, like it right. was always positive emotion. Yeah. Well, eventually, what happened is that they started to one split up into groups. They had like different groups. They had this one group that was really, really focused on keeping themselves clean. There's one group that didn't really care much about that, but they'd split into groups, and they would eventually stop um, procreating. And then they all went and essentially they all ended up going insane, and whether they killed each other or they just stopped having children, so they like the population would have died anyways. Yeah, okay. And the reason I say all that is that there's also this, I think it was Dostoevsky again, but in Notes from Underground, he said... Um, Really bringing up a lot of Dostoevsky today. Yeah. Feel yeah. smart. Yeah. Tell you well, what. I'm impressed, Wyatt. Yeah. Well, because you can even pronounce it. Yeah, I know. I usually butcher it. That's just because that guy. It's just because I've heard someone else much smarter than me say <laughs> it, and I don't try to read the name. Um, <laughs> right. But he said that if you gave people uh, nothing to do but eat cake and busy themselves with the um, continuation of the race, which means yeah. procreation. Um, that they would eventually just want to blow something up to have something unpredictable happen. Oh, wow. and, like, and so anyways, I agree with you. Long story to say, but it's just weird how, one, people have known that for some time, and then two, okay, that's even in other species. There's this need to push up against something yeah. to continue forward, and something that we don't want to be there ha- has to be there for that to occur. Yeah. I mean, if you just take it kind of on a domestic level, if if somebody's life is completely cultivated around pleasure and comfort and convenience, then at at some point it just becomes old. And so they don't appreciate what it is that they're experiencing. So that's the soul dying. That's them becoming numb. That's them becoming kind of uh, what I what we would call spoiled. They're just 
they expect that it's always going to be this way. But if you meet another person who's gone through some really difficult times, they tend to appreciate things at a much deeper level. They tend to feel things at a much deeper level. Um, you know, I, I had a dear friend for a number of years, amazing man. Um, he spent 10 years of his life in a German, in a series of German concentration camps as a young boy. And, and you, you, could, you could have conversations with him and you would hear this just delightful, joyful spirit about so many just simple things in life because he had seen and experienced something that was so evil that just to sit outside and feel the sun beating on your face and feel the wind in your hair knowing that you were alive. Yeah brought a sense of gratitude and a depth of appreciation about just that experience because he had seen something so awful and endured something so horrendous that there was there was this contrast i could be living in the camp still but i'm not i'm free and i'm enjoying this moment and I think spiritually that there's some truth there is that if we're, if we're not encountering a certain amount of difficulty and disappointment and, and frustration spiritually, then we, don't re- we, become, we become spoiled in our soul and then we just become um, lazy and we become ungrateful and we become critical and cynical and, and judgmental. You know, I've seen it, I've been in ministry now for 30 plus years. I've seen it time and time again. It's some of the people that I've known who've been through some of the most difficult situations of life, when they've come through it in a healthy sort of, you know, sense of recovery from it, they just live at a deeper level. They just appreciate and enjoy and and see things with a much deeper sense of gratitude that's different from the person who's never, you know, never been through a hardship like that. Would you say that this statement is kind of a, a culmination of what you just said? That, and maybe this is what I think. I think perhaps that maybe God uses evil to contrast good. I mean, on the surface, I could, yeah. I mean, yeah, I can say that. The other way to say that is in the face of evil, the goodness of God is so miraculously different. Yeah. So probably the same thing. Yeah, that's what I meant by that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I always just try to like to put it in a phrase like that. It helps me kind of span it across different experiences. Right. Um, but okay, so that makes sense. Do you think that uh, it has, I mean, I guess, no, I guess we did this, but like, uh, as far as like our soul goes, like, I think that evil, hardship, pain, suffering makes kind of like our worship and devotion. And I think what you said, like, I've spoken to people too, who have, like, their spiritual relationship with God came out of a really, really dark place. And I always admire their faith because it always sees so, it seems so, it, it seems so deep yeah. and true 
and um, just strong. Like there's an actual like big and deep thirst for it. Would you say that's? Yeah, yeah, because I true. think that's how the sovereign, all-knowing God can make use of evil to bring about a depth of faith. Because the person who struggled and you know crawled their way through a really painful experience and come out the other side, come out the other side is still trusting God. Their faith has been forged. Yeah, to a different place. You know, it's interesting, a number of years ago, I was in Nigeria, and we have a very dear uh, friend over there. He and his wife um, lead an orphanage. And I've always just thought the people who live at that orphanage, the faith that they have puts mine to shame as, you know, this comfortable suburban Christian that I am mm-hmm. um, in so many, so many ways. Because they just, they live in a dependence and a need for God's help in a way that I don't. Because I never lack for food. You know, I'm never hungry. And if I, you know, if I'm hungry, I can go to a refrigerator. I can go to a pantry. I can go to a restaurant within five minutes of my house. I can go to a grocery store. I can get any food I want. So I'm never really hungry. It was a thing in our house. My boys were never allowed to say I'm starving. Mm-hmm. It would just, it would just, it would just bother me so much because, like, boys, we don't even begin to imagine what it's like to be starving. You're yeah. hungry. Let's get you something to eat. We can rectify this really easily. But my friends in Nigeria, they know what it's like to go a long time without food. Or to know for sure where their next meal was coming from. And I remember uh, Daniel, his name is Daniel. Daniel and I were one day, we were in this, um, we were driving in this van. And if you've ever driven in Nigeria, it's, it's you take your life in your hand every time you get in a car. Because mm-hmm. the traffic and the way it all works is bizarre. Jamaica's that way too. Yeah. And he and I were driving, and there was other people in the van, but I was up in the passenger seat. He was driving. And there's, like, literally these enormous trucks over on our side of the highway coming at us full speed, and then at the last second they would, you know, duck into the other lane. (laughs) Or we would be passing, and I'm looking at a truck and all these cars coming at us, and then he would duck in. And I I remember one time, like, gripping my seat, like, this is how I'm going to die. This it's right here, right now. This is the way it goes. And I look over and he's whistling. And he just has the most delightful look on his face. And and I said to him, Daniel, I said, You have a depth of faith that I don't even begin to grasp because he lives at a place of hardship and disappointment and you know discomfort. That I, I I don't I don't live around, and even when I'm in Nigeria, I'm there as this little you know two week you know um, insertion. I know in two weeks I'm going to get back on an airplane, I'm going to fly home, and my life will be very different again. Yeah. But they they live this experience, and so because of what he's had to go through and what he goes through every day. He's being forced to truly have an authentic dependence on God 
that has forged in him a depth of faith that's different than mine because I'm not really pushed in those same vivid ways yeah. on the regularity that he is, that he experiences those things. So I truly believe that he probably lives in an enjoyment of a relationship with Jesus, a knowledge and an um, you know, intimacy with Jesus at a level that I don't have and may never have. Yeah. Because of the contrast in, in our life. It's interesting how the further away you get from uh, or I guess the more plentiful your basic needs and the easier that they are to access, the uh, the problems kind of switch on you. So like Daniel and I've also like that you were just speaking of, but I've also heard like in these interviews with like tr- uh, people who still live like tribally, yeah, and who just move around and hunt and they they do everything for their own food. They don't have the time um, to worry about the problems that we worry about. For sure. instance, it's like they aren't having existential crises over there. <laughs> They're worried about their next meal. They're not even worried about it. They just go do it, right? Yeah, they, yeah. Like maybe whenever that's hard, or like say there's been something going on with the ecosystem, whatever. But like. I saw this interview or, or a guy was telling a story. He was like, hey, would you guys ever want to come to America? And they they answered, isn't that the place where like people jump off of buildings? No, we're okay. Yeah. Well, and it's like, oh my, not to, not to be like decent, like unsensitive to that, but it's like, yeah. oh, it's, it's very different how the further you get away from that, and they have more problems than we do, the further you get away from that, the, the, uh, the easier it is for us to get uh, too almost too introspective, but that that comfort does something bad to us, you know. So, kind of in our so so far in our discussion, evil exists, and an all-knowing, sovereign, all-powerful God is capable of utilizing it to bring about something good, and. It's in our experience of the downside of evil that we have an invitation to trust God. And through the experiences of difficulty and disappointment and pain, the invitation is to know God better. And I like how you said it's an invitation, too. Because like, that means you have to accept it, right? Yeah, I mean, because you, you choose. Yeah. Lots of people go through difficult circumstances, the same kinds of difficult circumstances and come out in two different ways. Yeah. There's people who choose to move toward God in it and they choose to kind of go on the adventure of what this is teaching me about my faith and others they immediately get disillusioned and disappointed and they get mad and they push God away and they come out and their heart is harder or their their spirit is more cynical and um their doubts are now so great that it squelches any um, any flicker of faith that may have been there before. Yeah. So, yeah, it comes back to, and, it, and this comes back to that original, why does evil exist? Because we chose it. Yeah. Yeah. And we continue to choose what degree evil is going to have its impact on our life. Yeah. And I, I, I emphasize the invitation part because we have to choose. You're exactly right. Because that was the 
determination that I made whenever I was 14 or 15, um, at least a very simple form of it. But, like, this was the question that I had, like, the, a really big question that I had um, whenever my grandmother passed away because she was just this woman who just went through a bunch towards the end of her life. And um, I was s- sitting there as a 12 or however old I was, per- kid, thinking, why is God allowing this to happen to her? And then at her, her I was about to say wedding, her funeral, um, that question was still in my mind. And the verse... Uh, I think it was in John, the disciples and Jesus were walking around. They come upon a blind man, I believe, and the disciples asked, uh, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born this way? Yeah, John 9. Yeah, yeah, I knew you'd know. Um, and, and Christ said, well, neither. It was so that the glory of God might be seen through him, I think. Yes. And uh, anyways, that, that just really hit home for me because it's like, well, you have to... I could have looked at that and just said that, well, if God is real, he allowed this woman who devoted a lot of her life to him to experience a horrible thing and then die and then make it, the entire family suffer through that. But I chose to look on the bright side of it. Uh, bright side. I chose to look. I've always said that God will t- take the nastiness, suffering, mess that life can create and that we can create for ourselves and and take that pain and evil and y- and as you've said, but use it, but then turn it into something beautiful if you if you look for it right. or accept that invitation. Um, and from that, I was I accepted Christ in my heart, started coming here mm-hmm. at Cibolo, and then um, my family started coming. My parents didn't go to church before. And I baptized my mother not long ago. Right. And so, like, this question really hits home to me because it's been the story that I would tell. Wow. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Do you remember, have you ever seen the movie Dead Poets Society? I've been told to watch it. (laughs) You haven't seen it. (laughs) Okay. Um, So in the movie, there's this guy, he's a teacher, professor at this boarding school, Mm -hmm. elite boarding school. And the thing that makes him different from all the other professors is he has this very unconventional way of teaching. He, He teaches if I remember correctly, like English literature or literature. And so he has a way of sort of drawing his students into a discovery of these books that they're reading. And there's this one scene in it where he has them come out into the hallway and they're standing in front of uh, the school's um, trophy cabinet. There's all these, you know, big little trophies, different sizes. And then there's pictures of like the different, athletes and the different teams and so he gets his class to sort of lean into um looking at the the trophy case and he's like telling them look into the eyes of these former students this is like your your heritage and while they're like leaning into it he starts whispering seize the day seize the day boys and they're kind of like this is kind of weird but then then they kind of understand what he's doing, and he's saying, you know, these, these people in the past, if they could speak today, they would be telling you, don't waste your life, you know, seize it while you have it, because it may not always be there. Mm-hmm. And 
a big leap. But I've always felt like if you read if you read the Bible that way, that, that what you would hear is God whispering, "Will you trust me? Mm. Will you trust me?" And we're we're getting the vantage point of seeing God do all of these things throughout the course of biblical history. The part that's recorded from Genesis to, Genesis to Revelation. And, and I think the question that consistently is asked is, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you trust me when life's hard? Will you trust me when it's difficult? Will you trust me when it's disappointing? Will you trust me when it seems like I'm not around? Will you trust me when everything's going wrong and you don't understand why I'm not stepping in and you know fixing it for you? Will you trust me? And I, I think that... Again, the sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful God making use of what does exist, evil. He's making use of it, and he's, he's taking us through these painful, disappointing scenarios of life, and he's asking the question, will you trust me? Will you trust me that I am not doing this, allowing this because I'm mean? I'm not allowing this because I'm absent not allowing this because I'm, you know, stepped away to, you know, take care of something else and I forgot about you. No, it w- will you trust that in my love and in my sovereignty I have something for you in this? Will you trust me? And the person who chooses, yes, God, I will trust you, they come through that experience with a different faith than the person who goes, no, God, I'm not going to trust you because I'm mad at you and I'm disappointed in you. And if you had been here, then this wouldn't have never happened. And, and that's a whole different story. I'm not going to trust you. So I, I think that what we find in the story of the scriptures is this invitation, will you trust me? Because there's a few places in the scriptures where we're seeing people navigate like really really hard things and refusing to abandon their faith in god Mm -hmm. they've their faith has been forged to such a level of strength that it doesn't matter what evil throws at them they will continue to endure in the journey of trusting god and i think i think that's that's the pinnacle or that's the quest that's the the holy grail of faith is to be that kind of person who is um, unintimidated and un uh, unintimidated and resilient in the face of what appears to be the the strong hand of evil. Yep. I just recently read a book called Live Not by Lies, which I recommend to people listening. And they go back, it's this guy, and he goes back and he talks to a whole bunch of people who lived in the USSR, Christians who lived in the USSR, and what they experienced and the evil they had to stand up against. Um, and just the sense of, like, yeah, they were worried, but the sense of joy and the sense of, we're going to keep doing this. And you can keep us in jail. You can send us to the gulag. It doesn't matter. We're going to keep on going. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I mean, they said it was difficult, but but that's true. That's true. But no, I agree. I think that it would, I think that it would, I really like that Dead Poet Society reference. And also that wasn't a long shot. 
if I talk about, I mean, I talk about rats several times over this podcast. <laughs> so referencing that, not too bad. But okay, trust me, trust me, trust me. And the last question, I guess, for this podcast is why should they trust him? What, in the face of evil, like why trust him? Um, what, you said that their, their faith is going to be different on the side. Like why should they trust him? I mean, what's the alternative? I the alternative is to have nothing to trust. Mm. And therefore, there is no good that can come from it. There is no growth that can happen. There is no, there's no assurance that, that I'll get through this or that something will come, something good will come of it. Because then it's without, without God to trust, then everything ultimately is very fatalistic. Mm, hopeless hopeless or at least you're left without a trust in god and all the you know promise that comes with trusting him then basically you're left to conclude that evil will eventually triumph and will demolish and ruin everything Mm. there's no hope and so i think what happens with of of the forging of faith is that no matter what I go through, I'm not defeated and I'm not discouraged and I'm not overwhelmed because I have hope. I have a confidence. That's what the biblical term hope is about. It's this abiding confidence that I know that God is trustworthy. He's faithful. He's dependable. He hasn't left me. He hasn't abandoned me. He hasn't dropped the ball. He hasn't missed something. I'm just waiting for him to do what it is that he's going to do. And I'm waiting with confidence. That's the anticipation of hope. And so um, without, without something bigger than evil, something big enough that it can make use of the reality of evil for, for greater good, without that, then all we're left with is evil is awful and it will eventually ruin everything. Mm. And I won't get through this cancer with um, any kind of a resilient spirit or, um, you know, the awful things that people do to one another. They're just going to continue to spiral into worse and worse evil, and eventually everybody will act that way. I mean, that's, that's the hopelessness. Yeah. Um, Okay, since we're talking movies and you didn't see Dead Poet Society, I doubt you've seen this one. Um, have you ever seen any of the Mad Max movies? Yeah, I've seen some of them. Oh, you have? Uh-huh. You're just saying that because... No, no. <laughs> I haven't seen the new one, but I saw an old one. Yeah, the old ones. That's the ones I've seen. Yeah. Um, it's a very you know dystopian sort of view of like a world in the future where all laws and rules and ethics and everything is they're non-existent so you just have this you know band of uh, pirates basically just ruling the world and everybody's sort of on their own to defend to fend for themselves and it's this very distorted gross kind of way to live that's life without god Mm. um then especially when if if your paradigm includes that 
the depravity of sin has impacted every human heart and left to its own devices, it will get worse. Yeah. Okay. So a world without anything that God brings to an experience is void of love and it's void of joy and it's void of peace and it's void of justice and it's void of all these good things. If God's completely removed from it, then all you have is the, the, the backwash of evil in all of its potential. And pretty soon we spiral into Mad Max, a yeah. world of no redeeming value. So that's why a trust in God, a belief in God is, is so important to me is that it provides this eternal, hopeful perspective that no matter how bad it gets, there's always a greater good, there's always something to come, and there's always a way that God can use it to bring about something beautiful and good. Mm. Is that is that along the lines of the question you were asking, or did I just Yeah, no, no, absolutely. No, no, you got, it, you got it exactly. And I agree. Like, I think that, yeah, without God, like... What justifies your life then? Like what justifies, yeah, what justifies the continuation of the suffering? You know, it's like, why continue to go through this? If there's nothing bigger than yourself, if there's nothing to point towards, if there's nothing that you ultimately think could win out or that you have a reason to keep participating in something, um, that's not changing your answer. I'm at, I was just adding that. Yeah. The, you know, a couple of years ago, I had to do this really difficult funeral for a family. And at the time, they, they weren't participants at Cibolo Creek. Um, they lost a teenage son in a really mm. horrible sort of way. And um, so at the funeral, the room was packed with all of these 18, 19, 20-year-olds who were, you know, his, in his peer group. And, uh, oh, my gosh, when I got up to do, you know, my part of the the service, my heart was just breaking because I was like, what do I say to these kids, these young young people? And and I I was, I ended up explaining to them, hey, I'm not, what I'm about to tell you is not because I'm smarter than you or more mature than you, it's not because I'm older than you. It's just the fact that I am older than you. I've lived a little bit longer. I've just traveled the road a little bit further than you have. I'm not better than you. I'm just, I have a little bit more experience. You're 20, I'm 50 something. So I got like 30 years further down the road on you. And what that does is that provides, it affords me a certain perspective that you can't have at 20 not because you're ignorant or you're not intelligent you just don't have the other 30 years of experience so my perspective is just informed by more time and you know more situations that come with time and so I was uh, two of the things I told them is if you remember nothing that I say to today uh, say here today remember these two things there's always hope and there's always help because of the unfortunate circumstances that led to this young man's death, he had come to a place of evidently concluding, there's no hope and nothing's going to help me. So I'm going to end this life. And I wanted them to know that as 
19, 20-year-old young people, there was plenty of life ahead of them, and some of it was going to be disappointing, and some of it was going to be hard, and some of it was going to seem overwhelming. But please, whatever you do, try to remember there's always hope, there's always help. There's always some flicker that you can continue to get through this and that give yourself some time, a few days, a few weeks, and things can be sorted out. And there's always solutions. You may not know what the solution is, but there is a solution to the to problem you're facing. So don't give up hope. And then the second thing I was saying is, um, there's always help. It may not be who you would naturally move toward for help. Like we think of a kid, like I'm going to go to my parents. And unfortunately, sometimes parents are a disappointment and parents drop the ball and parents aren't helpful. Mm-hmm. But there could be a teacher, a coach, there could be a counselor, there could be a pastor, there could be a friend, there could be some, um, you know, social resource, uh, people whose, you know, whole service that they provide is to help somebody in a particular situation. Um, There's always help. Go find the help. If you find yourself at a place of impasse and you just think it's hopeless, I'll never be able to fix this, this will never change, remember there's always somebody that can help you. Go get that help. And it's that sort of, you know, perspective, like there's something beyond. Like some of them, they were going to go off to college. And there was going to be either an academic challenge or a social challenge at college that would seem very overwhelming. And they would think, there's just nothing beyond this. This is so bad. Well, if you live with hope that, okay, I'm having a rough freshman year, that doesn't mean that the next three years are going to be like this. Mm -hmm. There's hope that with some help, some tutoring, with some changes, a new roommate or something, I can... I can get through this and we can sort of move on from here. So I think a Christian is somebody who constantly, well, a Christian is invited to constantly live in this awareness that God's always with them. The Holy Spirit indwells them. Jesus has paid for all of their sin. There is the promise that eternal life awaits And there's this host of blessings that come with following Jesus. It's the wiser way. And so that's hope. It's like, okay, I made some mistakes. I made some lousy choices. Things are going wrong. Or just some forces acting upon my life that I didn't have any choice in, but it made my life really miserable. A Christian lives in the fact, lives in the hope of the fact that, yeah, but God's here with me. And he can and he will help me if I pursue his help. And he's made promises that he's never going to leave me and forsake me. He's always going to provide for my needs. And he loves me. And, and you know, a, a host of these promises, well, that's the hope. That this, whatever's happening to me, to me right now, isn't my life. It doesn't define me. And it doesn't determine my future. I have a God who determines my future. So I can get through this as difficult as it is because of this hope that I have in God. Well, if you take that away, now you're just fending for yourself. Yeah. 
And if something big enough and bad enough happens, yourself is inadequate. And so you're overwhelmed. And you get to a point where, you know, some people decide, I can't do anything about it, so I'll just end it here. And um, that's, you know, that's a sad way to live, is to get to a point of being so overwhelmed that you can't think through the solution or you can't find the help that that's out there and it's probably all around you but you've become so you know lost in your hopelessness and so that's why I think God is so important in the equation because man you can look around our world right now and there's lots of really demoralizing and disappointing and disillusioning things happening but I have a faith in a God who can and will do some amazing things through it all in my life and the life of other people. And I, I think that's, you know, when you look through the, the, the history of Scripture, that's, that's, those are the shining examples of faith. Those are the people who persisted through really challenging situations, came out the other side with a faith that's been forged to a much deeper level of strength, and then they enjoyed the benefits of that. Yeah. The joy, the peace, the hope, the love that has been forged in a heart that's been hurt. So that's kind of kind of my perspective on that. I think we all know that too, because it's those people that we admire innately. We admire oh, those people. Yeah. There's something in us that is like that right there is what you should be. Yes. And it's like, oh, we don't know why we feel that way. But we feel that way. Well, we well, know why we feel that way once we start asking the question. It's because God, I think, calls us to it. But Yeah, um, and really what we're seeing is we're seeing something we admire. Yeah. We, we find beautiful. We find inspirational. And that enriches our life. And we see it in another person and we're inspired by it or we find beauty in it or there's a certain nobility that kind of ennobles our own soul. And... What that teaches us is, well, when I go through my experience of pain and difficulty, like this person whom I admire, I can learn from them, and I can make choices accordingly, and I have the prospect of coming out the other side being a more noble person like they are yep. in my perspective. I think one last like so, there's some might be some people, maybe younger people, who like haven't experienced much pain or suffering or hardship. I mean, like myself, like I haven't experienced a whole lot. That say somebody uh, older or in different circumstances than me might have experienced, but like it is important to um, it is important for this discussion, regardless of experience or not, because you're going to experience it. There is no avoidance of. Uh, e evil coming to knock on your door or pain coming to knock on your door like that's going to happen bad things are going to happen yes. to you and I think another reason of why trusting God despite the existence of that evil is important is because he prepares you on how he impairs and enables you to best weather the storm and and of that evil of that pain of that suffering when it does come mm -hmm. I, I think that you know he's always said about being like the anchor in the storm. Well, let's keep you tethered because the storm is going to come. Yes. Or 
um, the rock, right? A foundation, something that isn't going to be taken away. Um, and so I've spent a lot of my life these past few years per- trying to become the type of person that can, not necessarily just in reference for pain, it seems almost kind of, you know, it doesn't sound fun, but trying to just follow him in a way that is somebody that who can who will be able to weather the storm, who will be able to um, stand against the suffering yes, unfold. and fold. And there's a word for that, Wyatt. Do you know is what, it? Do you know what the word is? No. Wisdom. Oh, yeah. Now I feel dumb. <laughs> Guess I don't have it. <laughs> no. So I think I've shared on here before, my favorite book in the Bible is Proverbs, and I'm fascinated by the topic of wisdom. And what you see in the book of wisdom is there's these two opportunities to learn. You can learn the hard way, uh, yeah. like making lousy choices and putting yourself in situations where you bear the brunt of your foolishness. The other way that you can learn is to watch other people go through the consequences of their foolish choices and then stepping back, learning the lesson from your observations and deciding, oh, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make that mistake. So then you head down a wiser path because you're choosing not to go the foolish path. Okay? So the fact that you at your age are intentionally trying to learn what you can, develop the habits, the skills, the disciplines that you need to hopefully avoid the consequences of a lot of foolish choices the book of Proverbs would say you're a wise young man because mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of taking a preventative approach to having to learn lessons the hard way. Now, inevitably, even the wisest person on earth is going to, you know, evil and hardship and disappointment. It's going, like you said, it's going to show up at their doorstep. Yeah. Whether they chose it or not, other people choose it in their proximity to that. They end up, you know, reaping the the backwash of it and so yes it's inevitable that we're all going to you know come up against uh, pain and suffering and disappointment throughout the course of our life because evil's there it's it's just the nature of how life works at this point and you know in the you know the parable about the man who built his house on sand or in contrast to the man who build his house on the rock um jesus doesn't say if the rains fall and the winds blow and Mm -hmm. the streams he says no when the winds blow and the streams rise and and the rain falls it's it's inevitable it will happen and how you get through it will all come back to what you make of the words of jesus if you ignore them you're going to be like the man who builds his house on sand and the storm's going to overwhelm, and it's going to carry off everything that you've built. Or you can listen to the words of Jesus, and you can, and in the in the Matthew he says you can put them into practice, and you're going to be able to navigate that storm. Your house is the house which represents your life. Your life is going to stand strong. Mm-hmm. It's going to be in the storm, but it's going to weather the storm, and you'll come through it having stood the test of that storm that's noah right that's the story of noah yes in some ways that that's kind of portrayed in all of that and so um what you just described is the life of wisdom is 
I'm making choices based on my faith in God, what I believe to be true about God. And if God has something to say, then I'm going to listen to it and I'm going to obey it. And doing that as a 29, 28, 23, 23. Hey, youngin. Yeah, we teach. I was older than I was. We teach you about being 40. Uh Uh-huh. It's just that mature. I take it as a compliment. Mature, wise way about you. So at at 23, you intentionally making decisions about what you believe to be true about God and then proceeding on the basis of what you believe to be true in obedience, then you're being wise. And it is preparing you. There's going to come a day, like you, by your own admission, you haven't had to suffer a lot or endure a lot of suffering. But there may come a day that things aren't as favorable or as easy or prosperous or, you know, advantageous, whatever the word is. There's going to be a day that you go through something that's painful. And I would say to you that the years of preparation that you have made to this point and to the point of whenever that might happen, it's going to serve you well. Mm. It's going to be like, huh, I built my house on rock and I'll get through this and I'll be stronger for it. And my, my house, my life will stand strong in the face of what it is that I go through. Yeah. 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 I heard, I think I heard the saying it was, like you want to strive to be the person who can stand at the deathbed of their father and know that you can take care of not only yourself but also your family if it came down to it. Hmm. It's like whenever the leader passes, you want to be able to take up that cross, shall you say, and and um, you know whether all the tragedy that comes with that yeah, and f- forge forward. Yeah, forge forward. Yeah. So anyways, I just wanted to add that in for people who were like, well, my life really, I'm not experiencing a whole lot of evil, so this isn't all that applicable to me. And it's like, well, you're going to. Yeah. It will be applicable. Um, so, but anyways, I think that's a good place to stop unless you got anything, any closing thoughts. Um, I do not. No, it's a good discussion. Um, thanks for asking the questions. And again, as we always do, hope that, Somebody listening may find something that's been helpful and beneficial to it. But um, I I just find myself these days being enamored by those few examples of Scripture in Scripture. And they are few. Those few examples in Scripture where somebody's faith was so relentless in trusting God that they weathered some really difficult things with a remarkable spirit. And that's who I want to be. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not begging or inviting bad things to happen to me um, or you or anybody, but I hope that I'm making some of the um, some of the progress and developing some of the disciplines that should that happen to me at some time, I... I will be the person, like we see in the scripture, who's very resilient um, and tenacious in trusting God through difficulty. Be like Peter. 
willing to be crucified. <laughs> Not only crucified, but upside down. Upside on down. On top of it. Yeah. Because he so believed in what was the truth that he was announcing about the resurrection. Yeah. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And uh, we will see you next time, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that new episodes are released every Wednesday. If you'd like to listen to our Sunday morning messages, you can find those by searching Cibolo Creek Messages. And finally, if you'd like to learn more about Cibolo Creek Community Church, you can find us at CiboloCreek.com. Thanks for listening.